Fernandez, who is the secretary for the Hispanic Church uh, in the United States, and then Eddie Carlo, who is the head of all Foursquare Brazilian immigrant churches, um, which we have uh, quite a few, and then there was me. And it was like, it was just an amazing time of getting to talk with uh, just some, some really amazing people about some really incredible things. And hopefully we'll be talking more about those uh, things later. And I was able to kind of give, offer sort of theological positions around some of these topics. Um, and here's the thing, you know, and again, like I said, a lot of times we swing either direction. Guys, oh man, I'm so excited. So, because I, man, this is not something I'm just interested in. This is something I'm passionate about. And that means I understand completely the swing to this side and the swing to this side. And if you are thinking to yourself, I'm over here, I'm gung-ho, like, let's do this thing, let's get it all done. I'm, I get to be the one to be like, hey, dude, I understand that perspective. Let's work, let's work on that, right? And if you're the ones who are like, this is nervous, this is, this is making me anxious because some of these things uh, are a concern of mine, I'm like, dude, I totally understand that. And let's work on that. Like, I get to be the bridge builder because I've been doing this for 10 years and it's not something that I'm a new at. So just... Exhale, right? Exhale. That's something that just it got you a little bit, you know, just exhale. It's going to be okay. And we're going to work on it together. And I'm not going to do anything uh, that's going to be too fast or too slow. We're going to go at the pace that God wants us to go at. Okay? Yeah? A nervous silence. Okay. That's good. Yeah, Jerry, go for it. Yes, ma'am. Three o'clock. Not last week. <laughs> this coming week. Every, it's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then also Friday. Yes, 3 to 3.30. If you come uh, into the office, I'll be here with some hot tea and uh, some cookies or something. And you can ask me questions and you can yeah, pick my brain and do whatever you need to do. Um, so anyways, that's where I was this last week. It was really exciting. It was really good. And a lot of good things coming about because of that. The last thing I want to just announce before we get into uh, the word and the word that I feel like God is preparing us uh, for um, is that we have a lot of people among us right now that are sick. I got several text messages from people and phone calls uh, this last week, uh, people who are not here today because they were sick or um, they have a doctor's appointment or something like that. And I just, can you just, by a show of hands, because I know that there's also a sick person in my family, can you, with a show of hands, can you, if you are struggling with an illness right now or a sickness, you're just feeling down and out, can you just raise your hand right now so we can just kind of see, James, raise your hand. He's, he's kind of, yeah, yeah, emotionally, yeah, that works too. Okay, so what we're going to do is uh, we're just going to take a few minutes to pray. You know, we believe that Jesus is our healer. Uh, and that means that he cares about our bodies. He cares about our minds. Um, and he doesn't just care about it and think, oh, you know, oh, that's so sad that they're not doing that. But he has the power to heal us. That's what we believe. So we're just going to pray. And if you, um, if you are feeling sick, if you would just open your hands to receive. And if you were near somebody who you saw that they lift their hand, if you could just extend your hand in their direction or even uh, put your hand on their shoulder or something like that. And also, if you have somebody in your mind that you know is not here, um, or somebody that you are close to who's sick, would you just, in your mind, bring that person before God? And we're just going to lift them all up together as a, as a body. We're just going to agree right now. Let's just pray. Lord, we come before you right now as a body. Jesus, as a body of believers who cares for one another. 
and a body of believers, there's parts of our body that are sick right now, that there, there is something in their body or there's something in their mind, Lord, that is keeping them back from the fullness that you have for them. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray healing over these people's bodies right now, Lord, that you would touch them by your power, Lord. It's not by the power of uh, us, not by the power of our, um, uh, our doctors even, but it's by your hand that we are healed, Jesus. Even doctors use your healing, Lord, because you are the author of all healing. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we speak healing and life and restoration over those of us in our body that are sick. And we pray that you would build them up, God, that your spirit would begin to flow through their bodies and even begin to push out the illnesses right now. And Lord, that they would be restored to us, restored to full health. In your name, Jesus, and for your glory, God, because we give you all the glory and all the praise and the honor for this. In your name, Lord, amen. 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 Let's continue to lift them up throughout the week. And as you, as you hear about people that are sick, please continue to, to lift them up as well. Okay. So um, while, I was, uh, while I was there in, in Los Angeles this last week, it was, uh, we were there for three days or something, and it was, I thought to myself, I can just, I can write my sermon while I'm there. Man, it was 7 a.m. until like 8 p.m. every day. It was hard work, but I did write a sermon, because that's important. Um, but the guy I was rooming with, I'll just tell you really quick, the guy I was rooming with, uh, his name is Remy Lawanson, and he is, he's a professor at Life, but he also teaches at Fuller and a bunch of other places, and he's incredible. And that man convicted me by his actions. I would come in there at night. I'd be exhausted. I'm ready to lie down in bed. And I look over, and there's Remy. We shared a hotel room. There's Remy, and he's praying on his knees before he gets in bed. And I'm like, oh. I was going to do that, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. You know. And then I'd wake up in the morning. My alarm would go off, and my initial responses, you know, to like take your phone and throw it across the room. And so then finally when I rolled out of bed and, and there's Remy and he's on his knees again, he's reading scripture and praying. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so your pastor felt a lot of conviction this last week. So, and I, you know, I pray on a regular basis. I read my Bible on a regular basis, on a daily basis. I'm praying and reading my scriptures. That's, that's a part of what I have to do. Um, but this man, uh, he taught me. Get on your knees and pray. Oh, my goodness. So while I was in one of those sessions of prayer with Remy, with my, my brother Remy, um, and I was praying about this next season for us uh, as a church, and some things kept on coming to my mind. And one of the things that came to my mind was this idea that God is birthing something new in us. You know, we have new life on our sign, but a lot of times it doesn't feel like new life. Do you know what I mean? And that's just not in our church. That doesn't, in my life, living my life, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I wonder, is this newness? Is this newness of life really? This is what newness of life is all about. But I really feel like God in this new season is preparing to birth new life in us, a newness of life. And so in anticipation of that, I started thinking and I started praying about um, this next season. And the direction I felt like God was bringing to me was he brought me um, King David. Now, here's the thing about David. David was born uh, at a time in Israel when they were looking for somebody, somebody to lead them. They were looking for something. Right? And when David is born, 
It's this moment, and it, is, uh, it kind of captures a lot of hope for the nation of Israel. And then when we flash forward to Jesus' birth, you see the same thing. And in fact, Jesus is called the second David. He's a, he's a king in the line of David. And when Jesus is born, people are looking for a newness. They're, they're saying something, there's something about this time. There's something about this season that we think that there's something going to happen here. And then Jesus is born. And it's that newness of life. So here we are, and we're in this season, and we're kind of like, we're kind of expectant. We're sort of like, there's something that's going to happen here. There's a hope that God is going to do something here. And so we're looking for something. We're looking for God to birth something. So what we're going to do is from now until the beginning of Advent, which is the first week of December, we're going to go through David. We're going to look at David, King David. Uh, And it's going to be sort of, we're going to build it up. We're going to talk, we're going to start today, actually the beginning of 1 Samuel, before David's even born. Uh, We're starting with the birth of Samuel, a prophet. And we're going to build it up from now until the beginning of December, capturing little snippets of David's life. And then when we reach Christmas, we're going to start talking about how Jesus is the coming king, how Jesus is the new David, how God is going to birth something new in us. You on board with that? I thought I was really good. I felt like God was really giving that direction. So today... And we got to get started here. Today, we're going to look at 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 through 20. And, and we're not going to go every, uh, you know, I'm not taking it verses 1 through 20, and the next we're going to do 21 through 30, because we wouldn't be able to get through, we wouldn't be able to reach David by the time we got to Christmas. So we're just going to do, we're going to do portions, little stories, little snippets, snapshots, okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to hopefully by next week, I'm going to have a little printout of what we're going to be talking about each Sunday, so that if you wanted to, you could read the in-between stuff. You know, yeah, that's a good suggestion. So, so this week we're going to do 1 Samuel 1. Next week we'll hit 1 Samuel 2. So if you can start reading from where we end today until chapter 2, then y'all will be on board. And we'll just kind of read it together and experience it together uh, as a congregation. Yeah, good idea. I thought that was a good idea. Well, we're going we're gonna to read right now, Kathy. <laughs> All right, so, um, so I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to read 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 20. And when I'm doing this, um, again, you know, we, we sort of talked about this a few weeks ago, but I encourage you just to experience it. Just so you can read along if you want to. You have your Bibles. Um, but I encourage you just to listen and experience it. And I'm going to read out of um, uh, the CEB, which is a common English Bible, which is a different one that I'm used to using, um, but it's a good translation. And, and I might, I'm thinking about using it. All right, so. Are we all with us? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray that your anointing would come right now on this service. That you would speak your words to us and that they would bring life. And that you would prepare us to birth something new. In your name, amen. All right. Now there was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zephite from the highlands of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. He was from the tribe of Ephraim, and he was the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth. Elkanah had two wives. One was named Hannah, and the other named Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah didn't. Can I just stop right there? Multiple wives is not a great idea. <laughs> um, 
And, and I want you to, and pe- people say, oh, well, you know, it's in Scripture. Well, that's true. But if you actually look at every single time somebody has more than one wife, it's not a good situation. <laughs> Things don't go well, right? So just keep that in your mind. Okay? Every year, this man, Elkanah, he would leave his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heavenly forces in Shiloh where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. And whenever he sacrificed, Elkanah would take, give parts of his sacrifice to his wife, Phinehas, and to all her sons and daughters. But he would give only one part of it, uh, he would give only one part of it to Hannah, though he loved her, because the Lord had kept her from conceiving. I know that's not the same translation as, no, I know, I know, <laughs> sorry, brother. Oh, well, that's okay, too. Although I don't, I don't know enough Spanish to read it, but... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you, brother. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. Okay, pause for a second there. What are we talking about giving portions of your sacrifice? Well, in the olden times, when you would go to sacrifice, it would actually be more like a barbecue. You'd show up with your sheep or your goat or your, or your bull or whatever it is that you're sacrificing, and you'd kill it at the altar. But you wouldn't kill it. The priest would kill it. And then they would, like, barbecue it. And you would eat it. Uh, you would eat it. The priests would eat it. Part of it would go set aside for their uh, consumption later. And so when he talks about giving a part of his sacrifice to his wife or whatever, that's what he's talking about here. Yeah? Okay, log that away. So that is what took place year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of, into the Lord's house, Peniah would make fun of her. Then she would cry and she wouldn't eat anything. Hannah, why are you crying, her husband Elkanah would say to her. Why don't you eat? Why are you so sad? Aren't I worth more to you than ten sons? One time after eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah got up and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest, he was sitting in a chair by the doorstop of the Lord's temple. And Hannah was very upset. And she was crying. She couldn't stop crying as she prayed to the Lord. And then she made this promise. Lord of heavenly forces, just... Look at your servant's pain and remember me. Don't forget your servant. Give me a boy. Then I'll give him to the Lord for his entire life. No razor will ever touch his head. As she kept praying before the Lord, Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was silent. So Eli thought that she was drunk. How long will you keep acting like a drunk? Sober up. Eli told her. No, sir, Hannah replied. I'm just a very sad woman. I haven't had any wine or beer, but I have been pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't you think your servant, don't think that your servant is some good-for-nothing woman. This whole time I've been praying out of my great worry and trouble. Eli responded, then go in peace and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked from him. Please think well of me, your servant, Hannah said. Then the woman went on her way, ate some food, and wasn't sad any longer. They got up the next morning and worshipped the Lord. Then they went back to Ramah. Elkanah lay with his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, which means, I asked the Lord for him. Now that was a little bit of reading. We are Hannah. I want to present that to you. We are Hannah. All of us come in here, uh, and I don't care who you are, you have an idea in your head, a dream of what the future could be like. 
That's why we work. That's why we set aside money to take a vacation. That's why we, you know, try and see our kids. We have a dream in our mind of what life should be like, of something that we would want, a desire, a heartache, something that we've continually placed before the Lord. I wonder if you could think about that today. And when we dream before God, when we place things before God, when we say, God, this future, this, we should dream big. We should learn how to dream big. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, what did he say? He said, pray this, pray this way, right? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a big dream. That's a big dream. Could you imagine what that would look like if, whoa, if the heavens came to earth, if God's will was done on earth as it was in heaven? And when we dream, we need to dream big. So we put things before him. God, I, want, I just I want my children to follow you. You know, I, I, got a, I got an ailment in my body, something chronic in my body that needs to be healed. I want unity. I want to see harmony in our world. I see an end to divisions and an end to war. Those are big dreams. I encourage you to dream those dreams. God is a big God. He doesn't have any limits. We talked about that a few weeks ago. God doesn't have any limits. So dream big before him. And here Hannah, she cries out for a son, right? That's, that's on her heart. She weeps bitterly, it says, before the Lord. Sometimes we need to weep bitterly before God with our dreams. At this, at this particular time in history, I mean, you probably already know this, but at this particular time, a woman who didn't have a son, especially a woman who didn't have any children at all, uh, was considered to be less than. That's how women really prove their worth uh, at this particular time. And, you know, that's something which we kind of look back on now. We're like, man, that is hard. That is harsh. Uh, folks, that's not how women prove their worth. Women have worth just like men have worth. And the reason why we have worth is because the Spirit of God has created us in His image. God has created, it says in Genesis, male and female, He created them in His image. So our worth doesn't come from what we do or what we don't do. Our worth is an extension of God's worth because we are image bearers of Him. We know that, and I, I want to encourage you because you know, there's a lot of things in our world that want to tell you differently. They want to tell you something about that your worth is somehow tied to how you look or what you do or the things you don't do or, you know, your stylishness, you know, how hip you are. And that's not true. They want to capitalize. The world wants to capitalize on our sense of unworthiness. They hold up a standard, a mirror to us, and they say, you're not like this, but if you bought this product or if you started doing this thing or if you started wearing this kind of clothes, or if you hung out with these kind of people, then you would be worthy. You've got to get there first. And people spend their entire lives chasing after that. Getting money, getting possessions, getting accolades from their peers. And I want to tell you that that's something that I struggle with too. You know, sometimes, man, I'm thinking to myself, man, if I just can get that person to acknowledge me, you know, if I could just, if I could just accomplish this task, if I could just do that, then then I would be worthy. Then I would be. That is a lie. That is a lie because what happens is once you get that accolade, once you get that money, once you get that task done, there's another one right around the corner. 
because that's how the world works. It wants you to, wants you to stumble forward and never be satisfied with who God has created you to be. They're constantly trying to push you a little bit farther, a little bit farther. Oh, now, you're not there yet, a little bit farther. And even the people that we think that we have uh, put up on a pedestal is they're the kind of people that we want to be like, right? If you really ask them how they're doing, man, people live miserable lives. People live miserable lives at the very top. It's a dissatisfaction with ourselves. And I want to tell you, I want to encourage you today. You have worth. You know what? You have worth. You have worth, not just because of something you do or because of a way that you look or because of the way you talk. You have worth because God has made you in his image. And that's something that nobody can ever take away from you. That's something that you can never add to or take away from. You're an image bearer of God. And if the Almighty God has made you in his image, you are worthy. You have worth. Right. Hannah, she's, she's caught up in this idea, you know. She's like us. She's like us often, isn't she? She begins to cry out for a child. That's not a bad thing to cry out for, I don't think. That's not a bad thing. But if you look at what she says, remember she kind of gets... Uh, Eli, the priest, kind of kind of thinks that she's drunk, right, because she's kind of talking. And what's her immediate response? Oh, please don't think that I'm a good-for-nothing woman. Please don't think that I'm, I'm worthless to you. Right? There's something going on deeper here emotionally in Hannah's life. A longing for something. And right now she wants, she wants a child. She's named it as a child. But just like Hannah's dream, just like our dreams... There are obstacles to this. There are people trying to derail her. So the first thing we look at is outsiders, people outside of us. Right? Verses 6 through 7, I'm going to read it here. Uh, here in the NRSV, it says, Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to prov- provoke her so. Hannah stopped eating and she started crying. The enemy wants to disparage us of our dreams, wants to remind us of how long it's been. And so Hannah has a rival, it says. And this idea of rivals, people that compete with us for our dreams, this is all over the place. This is our world that we live in, right? I remember when I was growing up, this is kind of a weird thing, but it's something that I've, uh, people that are named Stephen or Steve, maybe Steve, with Steve right there, uh, they experienced this kind of thing. I don't know if you have. There was, for some reason, all the Steves and Stevens in our school, we didn't like each other. You know? I like you, Steve. I've gotten over it now. But there was just something about that this guy has the same name as me, you know? And, like, he's so similar to me. Like, like we have a, we, there's a corner market on Stevens, you know? And I got one corner. I have to kind of defend my territory. And it was sort of a rivalry. It was sort of a weird thing. I know it's a really weird thing now that I think about it. But, but it was a thing for me in school. You know, the Stevens. I was never friends with anybody named Steven in school. I didn't like those guys. <laughs> but it's just, you know, that's kind of a funny example. But it goes beyond that. I mean, you think about the Cold War. I mean, that's, that's a rivalry. It's a rivalry. I mean, you have two nations, the United States and the USSR, uh, both superpowers, both have exercised global influence, 
Uh, both, you know, are nuclear armed, you know. Both of them have huge amounts of firepower. Both of them very invested in advancing their uh, global interests. But there's one difference, right? It's the economic system. There's one difference. Uh, any Ducks fans? Any Beavers fans? There we go. <laughs> yeah. When I got here, we started looking around. That's the one thing I noticed. Man, there's a lot of people care a lot about that here. You got people with their, their cars all decked out. You drive by their house and it's like, you know. And I don't know what happens when a Beaver person, you know, lives next to a duck. If there's like, you know. So I decided, since we're living here, I decided to go with the Linfield Wildcats, Wildcat fan. It felt like that would be, you know, a third way out. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Michelle, for giving that. But it's a rivalry, right? I mean, just, my goodness, how similar. They're both universities in the state of Oregon. They both, you know, there's so much in common, but there's one little difference, isn't there? How they're the different cities. Oh, that's very important difference. Hannah and her rival. They're married to the same guy. Right? They're both women. They're both living in this time. They're both feeling the same kind of societal pressure. So there's one little difference. One little difference. One of them has children and the other doesn't. I want you to look out. Look out for rivals in your life. Because it often is the case that our rivals are people that we are incredibly similar to. We're actually incredibly similar to them. But there's always just one little difference, one little difference that separates. And, and that difference, man, I mean, if you think about uh, the USSR during the Cold War, I mean, the United States and their uh, relationship with New Zealand, okay, New Zealand's a very different country from us. Right? New Zealand doesn't exercise global power. New Zealand doesn't, you know, they have a very different economic system and a very different all sorts of culture and, and everything like that. And they're not... They're sort of a Western culture, but they got a huge uh, native population there. It's a very different... We're not rivals with New Zealand, are we? No. We were rivals with the USSR. Think about that. Think about who you're rivals to. And the fact is that you are probably very similar to them with one, one difference. We need to resist the temptation to create rivals. We've seen that worship song. It's a great song where it has a line in the chorus. You have no rival. You have no equal. Do you know this song? You have no rival. You have no equal. And what I love about that song, it's not talking, I don't think that it's talking about that nobody can match God in power. What I think it's talking about is that God refuses to take rivals. He refuses to take rivals. There's a famous story. The Israelites are about to go up against a bigger army. And Joshua is leading this army and he goes to the top of this hill and he meets an angel there. Right? And he says to the angel, Who are you? Whose side are you on? You on my side or are you on their side? I hope you're on my side. And the angel says, I'm not on anybody's side. Man. I'm on God's side. God is not, it's not, it's not a rivalry between God and this other nation. That isn't that doesn't happen. And that's like people say, you know, God and Satan have like a thing, you know, they're fighting each other. I'm I'm sorry, they do not. If God ever decided to actually go toe-to-toe with Satan, do you know what I mean? There ain't no rivalry there. Right? The fight is between us and Satan. Yes, absolutely. My Satan goes toe-to-toe with me every day. He doesn't go toe-to-toe with God. He's not that stupid. Right? So there's no rivalry within God. God refuses to take sides. 
God works in the middle. And he's working in people. Man, there is a Catholic church down the road. He's working in that church. And we may say, well, that's not, you know, we're, we don't agree with that. We wouldn't, yeah, I'm, you know, we're not Catholic. We, we got our own thing going on. We got our own four square thing going on. But we're not rivals with them. God does things through that church and God bless them, you know. So let's refuse to take rivals. And here Hannah has a rival over her dream. The other thing, the other uh, obstacle that she comes up against is insiders. I mean, outsiders are easier to deal with because you can just say, you know what, I'm just not going to engage you. You want to disparage my dream. You want to say that God's never going to do that. You want to reject that. You know, I'm just not going to engage you. But insiders, that's the hard part. Insiders, that's what I, this is what I mean by that. Verse 13, Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips were moving. Her voice wasn't heard, and Eli thought that she was drunk. You know, at some point in our journey, at some point in your journey, there's going to come a time when people who you thought were your closest allies are going to throw up an obstacle. That's what, and, that, and that happens. That just happens. Um, and, and maybe you know, there's a few people nodding. Maybe some people have experienced what that is like. Uh, and I don't think that people do it intentionally often. Eli here, he's not intentional. He's... There's, he thinks that there's a drunk woman making a scene in the temple, and he's, that's his job to sort of, you know, get that situation dealt with. Um, and even sometimes godly people mistake God's desire and don't recognize our journey as divinely inspired. I, I want to tell you, uh, as a leader in this church, and as a pastor of this church, I want to tell you that if at any time I or anybody else in this position have stood in the way of what God is doing in your life, I don't apologize to you. Okay. Um, that's something the pastors sometimes we do, and that's not right. We should never stand in the way of what God is doing in and among the people. Okay. So I'm apologizing for myself apologizing for this position. That's not moments of ignorance, uh, maybe moments of miscalculation, maybe, but uh, inappropriate, right? I was not planning on doing that, but that's important. We need to guard each other's dreams. I want to guard your dreams with you. I want to guard what God is doing in your heart. We need to look out for each other. Man, the world has enough things to come against us. We don't need to be fighting among each other. The world's going to do that plenty for us. So I'm on your side, all right? You're on my side. We're together, okay? All right. There's this letter. Uh, it's called Letter from the Birmingham Jail. You ever, anybody ever read Letter from Birmingham Jail? I'll get you a copy. Martin Luther King wrote it um, when he was in jail in Birmingham. And um, he just completed a, a, a march. He'd been arrested. Uh, and he was sitting in jail. And he reached out. Uh, he had reached out during this campaign to all the pastors in the area, all the churches, and said, hey, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be marching for you know, civil rights. And would you please come out and show your support? And not a one church came out to support him. 
And so he wrote a letter. And in the letter, it, it says there's one line, and I'm going to choke up a little bit. There's one line that always hits me so hard. And he says, he says, I thought that because we were brothers, I thought that because we both served the same God, that this would be as much a priority for you as it is for me. And I guess I was mistaken. Man. You get hit by outsiders, you can always retreat back to your home ground. But if you get hit by people on your home ground, where are you going to retreat to? That's hard. Talk about somebody who had a dream. And he never saw his dream fully realized, but he was satisfied to trust God. You know, there's some famous uh, things that he used to say. He used to say, he used to say this one. He used to say, how long? Not long. Because the arc of the universe bends towards justice. How long? Not long. Because there is a God who stands in the shadows keeping watch over his own. He was satisfied to trust God. And I want to tell you, for your dreams, for whatever it is that God has placed on your heart to do, for the vision that he's given you for your future, your family, and maybe it's just for your children, maybe it's just for this next season of your life, but I want to tell you something. It's not long, because we serve a God who is reliable and trustworthy. And though people may let us down, God will never let us down. And I believe that God is going to do something new here, that there's going to be a newness of life here. And I trust him with that. And so Hannah, she finally gets to a place where she trusts her dream to God, right? Eli says to her, may God grant you what you have asked for. And then it says in verse 18 that she left. She went back to her house and she ate and she drank. And she was no longer sad. Right? Where before she had begun to be attacked by those outside and by those inside and she had begun to believe perhaps a bit of the lies that they were telling her. But now, now that she had submitted her request for God, she didn't have it yet. Did she? She didn't have it yet. But she submitted it to God and she said, I trust you, Lord. And then she went back and she ate and she drank and she was no longer sad. I think about uh, Jochebed. This is Moses' mother, right? She has a little baby. A little baby who's supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. And God tells her, take that baby and put him into the Nile River. Into the very symbol of Egypt. Right? And float him on down. Can you imagine being that mother and putting that baby in a basket? And just saying, Lord, this is in your hands, and letting go. You think about Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain, and what that would be like as a father, to have God come to you and say, I want you to sacrifice the child of promise that I've given you. The child that all of the promises I've made are built on, I want you to go and I want you to kill him. And what that was like for him to say, Lord, I trust you enough that I'm going to let this go. I want you in your own life, think about those dreams in your own heart, and have you been able to release those to God yet? Have you been able to say, Lord, I'm putting this into your hands?
because sometimes when we have something that we want so badly, we, we grab onto it like this, don't we? We don't want to let it go because we're afraid if we let go of it, it would fly away and never come back home. Right? And God says, we need to learn to release those things. To release them. We've talked about how we are Hannah. The last example I want to give you is uh, St. Augustine. St. Augustine is uh, largely considered the second greatest theologian in the history of the church, right behind Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle, then Augustine. And when he was younger, he was not a believer. He was doing his own thing, man. He was well known within the red light district, if you, if you catch my meaning. He was, uh, you know, on first name basis with some of the, uh, some of the people who worked there. And uh, his mother was a devout Christian. And so she would come every day to her church, to her priest, and she'd pray for her son. And when she prayed, she would, just like Hannah, she'd weep bitterly. And she'd cry out for him, for this little boy who was just doing his own thing. And there's actually a story that <laughs> never, if you're a, don't ever do this to your mother, Micah. There's a story that her, she came she came to Augustine. She, he was working as a teacher, and she came to him to kind of convince him, come back. He was living with a mistress, and he had another mistress at the time. And he, she was trying to convince him, come back to me, with, with me to our, our home, uh, and we can, you know, we can work through this. We can, you know, I want to help you and whatnot. And so he says to her, okay, mom. So she travels there, and travel in the fourth century is not easy to do. Uh, you know, so she takes a boat to where he is. And she, he says, okay, mom, all right, all right, that's fine, I'll do that. So, it, you know, there's a boat that leaves tomorrow morning, and we'll, let's get on that boat, we'll go back home. And next morning, she gets on the boat and starts sailing back, starts looking around. He, he skipped out on her and did not get on that boat. And it was several years later before he came back, but this is what happens. His mother, Monica, she would come to her priest and cry for her son. And one day, finally, the priest came to her and he said, look, he said, I cannot believe that God could ignore so many tears. You have to believe that your son's going to come back. And she was satisfied with that and she left, like Hannah. She submitted it to God and she left. And it was a few years after that that Augustine uh, heard the preaching of a, a bishop in Milan, a guy named Ambrose. And he decided that Christianity was the way that he wanted to pursue. And then he became the second greatest theologian that we've had in the church. But it was because of the tears that were cried over him by his mother. Because of that devotion. Because of Monica's work. God is Hannah as well. We're talking about us as Hannah, but God is also Hannah. The Spirit longs for us desires our presence. It says in 1 Timothy, this is right and it is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And I want to submit to you that our dreams of health and of love and of a beloved community, that was what Martin Luther King was all about, a beloved community of people that actually cared for each other. Our dreams of a family are all a part of God's desire. And God's dreams. God has a dream for your life. God has a dream that you would become a part of his family. That you would join his family. 
That's God's desire. And I want to tell you something. The Spirit of God weeps over us and travails over us for our souls. Jesus is not impassive. He doesn't sit there on a throne somewhere wondering when we're going to get our act together. He weeps over us. And he says, oh man, if I could just get my daughter, if I could just get my son, if I could just have them in my arms, they could just come back here to me and be a part of this family. The God of the universe weeps over you. That's his desire. And when our desires align with God's desires, we begin to partner with him. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a way of, of doing that. And I want to encourage you, you know, this is a, um, you know, there's a way of joining the family of God. Part of it is uh, submitting our lives to him. Part of it is saying, Jesus, I'm handing my life over to you. I'm believing that you have something for me. I'm believing that you have grace for me, that you can forgive my sins and heal my body, and I believe that, and I accept that. There's, there's an inner work there, but then there's an outer work as well, where we come to a body of like-minded believers, and we say, you know what? I've given my life to God, and I, I want to be a part of this community. And uh, I want to encourage you, we're going to start this in probably three weeks, we're going to start a class on baptism. And I want to encourage you, if you're not baptized, I want to encourage you to get baptized. What we're going to do is we're going to take probably four weeks, four to five weeks. It might go six, but it kind of depends on the group. Um, and we're going to go through a few things about what, what is baptism, what does it mean to be a part of a community of God, um, what does it mean to believe that Jesus is our Lord. And we're going to go through those things together uh, for whoever wants to join us. And at the end of that time, we're going to have a baptism service. And we're going to do some baptisms. And that's a sort of a public declaration. That's sort of a way to say, this is who I am. I'm a part of this body. I'm a part of this church. I'm, a, I'm, I'm on board with this. So if you are interested in that, if you're interested in being baptized or you were baptized against your will uh, or into something that you, well, I mean, it happens, man. It happens. Or you were baptized into uh, something that you don't agree with now or something like that. You want to be baptized? I encourage you, come up to me after church this week, I'm going to announce it again next week, come up to me after church next week, and we're going to, start, we're going to put together a little class, it's going to be probably Sunday after church for four or five weeks, uh, and we're going to talk about baptism, we're talking about Jesus, and then we're going to do some baptism after that, alright? Alright, so, so, you know, think about that, look for that, if, if that's something that you want to do, come and talk to me. Since Adam and Eve, we're going to get back into it now, we're, we're, we're getting back into it. Since Adam and Eve, and throughout the history of humanity, we've had one cry, one desire, like Hannah, and it's the same desire that God has like Hannah. It's that same cry, it's that same cry that God, you would restore a relationship here. That you would restore a relationship. God, we need to be with you. And God says, man, I need to be with those people. I need to fix some relationships between people, right? We have a long history of not being good to each other. And that's what I talked about earlier. Long history of you and pastors not being good to each other. And that, that's got to end. That's got to end. Because if we're really interested in restoration, if we're really interested in God having a relationship with us, we've got to have a relationship with each other and with our world. Right? And God is here to redeem that. And so God has a desire. And so God had a, 
a son that he sent. Just like Hannah, Jesus was born. Just like Samuel was born here. And so we, we sing at Christmas time, Jesus, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. That's Jesus for us. That's Jesus for you. When Jesus was sent and he was born 2,000 years ago, he was born for you. He was born as a child of a promise, a promise of restoration, a promise of rightness, a promise of setting things right. And he's come to do that in our lives, in our church, in our community, and in our world. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we come before you as a expectant community, Jesus, expectant of you, of what you're doing, of the work that you are at. We trust you, Lord. We trust you that you are going to carry out these things. And I just encourage you if, you, if you are like that today and you have a dream and you have been holding it tightly, I want to encourage you right now, take a step of faith and in your heart release that to God. And even you can just pray in your heart, say, Jesus, I have a dream. I have a vision of what I want to do, of who I want to be, of my family, of health, of my community. And right now, I entrust that to you. Lord, it's yours. I'm handing it over to you and I'm trusting that you love me enough and you are trustworthy enough that you're going to see this through. And as a church, Lord, as a church, we just submit ourselves to you and we submit the congregation to you. We submit everything that new life is to you, the past, the present, the future. And even now, Lord, as a congregation, we say, Jesus, take it. It's yours. We release this church up to you, Lord. Whatever it is that you have planned for us, we trust in you to carry it out. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray for you. I want to ask that God will make you worthy of his call and will fulfill by his power every good resolve and work of faith so that in the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Bless one another. Have a hug.